Welcome to the Future of Work Live. Hosted by Mark Salisbury, author of the new book, Socrates Digital for Learning and Problem Solving. Each 25-minute episode with Mark and his guests prepares you for the upcoming new world of work. Welcome to the Future of Work Live. I'm Mark Salisbury, your host. Today, Lynn Stansbury Brushnahan will be my guest, and she will discuss how we can build bridges from school to work for individuals with autism. And uh, Lynn, to tell you a little bit about her, she is uh, a professor at the University of St. Thomas in the School of Education uh, in the Department of Special Education. So she's the parent of an adult son with autism. In 2012, she was named Autism Society of America's Professional of the Year. She currently serves on the Council for Exceptional Children's Division on Autism and Development Disabilities National Board. So join me in welcoming Lynn to the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. Thanks for being here. And um, I guess we'll just jump right into this. For a lot of our viewers, we might not know exactly what autism is. So our first question is, what is autism? Good question to start with. Autism is a neurodevelopmental category in which individuals on a spectrum experience characteristics and challenges in social communication and a cluster of behaviors, such as experiencing sensory stimuli differently, uh, preferring predictable environments and or an intense focus on an area of interest. It's a spectrum, meaning there's a range of functioning. And so hallmark to the autism is the socialization challenges. But those challenges can be on a range. Speaking to the social challenges, an individual could isolate themselves to going and being very socially engaged, but experiencing some social comprehension challenges. Verbally, they could be nonverbal or highly verbal. What scientific research tells us is that there's differences in brain functioning. So we tend to use the term neurodiversity when we're talking about putting autism into perspective. I found a quote that I like to use when I'm telling people about autism, and it really, to me, puts autism into perspective. They are freshwater fish in salt water. So you put them in fresh water, then they function just fine, but you put them in salt water and they're going to struggle. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a good definition. One of the things you and I have in common is that uh, we both have sons that have autism and who are young adults. And uh, so that analogy makes a, makes a good one for me, that fresh fish mm -hmm. in salt water. So that makes a lot of sense. But you know, this isn't as uncommon as we think it is. So you know, how many individuals are there out there that could uh, that are affected with autism? Well, when we see the data in the media, what they're usually looking at is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's prevalence data. And it's important to understand that prevalence data is a population at a given time. And so what CDC is looking at, they're exploring eight-year-olds in specific states, a sampling of states, and they estimate about one in 44 currently eight-year-olds have been identified with autism. And that equates, Mark, if you think about it, to 23 and 1,000. And if you put that in perspective, in the 1990s, that number was two to seven or 1,000. So we have seen better identification, perhaps, or increases in individuals mm -hmm. being identified. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And, and it also happens when people are adults. I have a, a nephew that has just been diagnosed with autism, and he's a young adult. And, you know, and his 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 uh, reaction to it was, 
Well, that explains a lot of things, right? And so it yeah. helps you know We're who he that is. A lot. Yeah. Mark, with the adults and the identification. If anyone's interested and wants to know where to go to look for information, more information on just what the characteristics are, I'll provide a couple of resources really quickly. The Autism Society of America, uh, Autism Navigator, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have a nice list of the characteristics associated with autism. And oh. I am seeing that a lot, though. I'm seeing college students in courses coming to the realization as they go through the characteristics that perhaps they're on the spectrum themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And so, uh, well, let's let's go to as you know, the the name of this show is the future of work. And so, one of the things that we expect in the future and and can anticipate and prepare for is this neurodiversity that you talked about. So, what is the role of schools in preparing individuals with autism for the workplace? Well, the future of work requires individuals with disabilities such as autism to receive services and supports during their elementary and secondary education. Before graduation, we have to start thinking about this. So uh, that typically occurs uh, within transition plans for students who receive special ed services. This is actually mandated. So transition planning and education is a process that our federal government has mandated in the Individuals with Disability Education Act, IDEA, and it requires all students who have an individualized education program, and you hear this referred to as an IEP, in K-12 education to participate in transition planning. And so educationally, we serve students with disabilities who qualify for services up to age 21. And that can be different in some states. But the purpose is to facilitate that move from school to post-school activities, including employment. Uh, the provision of these transition supports is to prepare them to be contributing members of society. And that's what we're doing for all students. We're, we're preparing them to go out and be citizens of the United States and be good citizens and contribute. Uh, advocates, family members like you and I, and educators have worked really hard over the years to develop some evidence-based strategies to support that successful transition, including uh, you know, being independent in the community working and we're seeing many more opportunities for post-secondary education for individuals on the autism spectrum than ever before. Okay. Well, viewers who watched this show before and, and recognize the fine professional quality of, of our productions uh, realize that we actually talk a little bit. Uh, we have a little dry run, so we get used to the equipment and, and talk about things before we actually go live. And one of the things that you said when we were doing this is that it prepares, uh, you know, regular students who aren't on the spectrum to basically work with and be around students who are. That's that inclusiveness. And that creates a, a pattern for acceptance later on uh, when they go to work. Would you want to talk about that just a little bit? Absolutely. We hear a lot about autism awareness, but with the numbers being what they are and with uh, the prevalence, we really need to get past that po a point of awareness to acceptance and action. And so uh, a little bit of that with the transition uh, is that we need to provide employment opportunities and we need to adopt evidence-based practices. And that's one. Uh, we need to build bridges from school to working life and making employment opportunities a priority. And to do that, we have this metaphorical bridge connecting that preparation of high school to adult life. And when we're thinking about that, we need to provide inclusive experiences in general ed. And one of the reasons is, is that we want our individuals to be with their peers. 
in our high schools are setting our future society and those future society are our employers and so we want individuals with autism not to have all these barriers like not to be able to get an interview or not to have the people who are interviewing them not consider them for employment because they don't understand autism and when we have inclusion in general education while they're still in school elementary middle and high school individuals grow much more accepting. So they're not going to say, well, we shouldn't interview this person. They're going to say, oh, I had I had people I, in mm-hmm. high school with me that had autism. Yeah, we should let them interview because, you know, they're going to be make a great employee. Um, and other things to do in schools, really think about, you know, providing real world experiences as well. Individuals, while they're in high school, they can be volunteering. They can uh, even seek paid employment opportunities. They can work as interns. They can shadow. Uh, And so we want to make sure as educators listening that you are really providing those classes to help them create those skills that they need for vocations and careers. And combining academic and vocational approaches is really important. A lot of times educators tell me, Mark, we don't have time to prepare them because we're so busy. I've got to teach them math. Well, teach them math in a real world application way that they can actually utilize that. I have a fun story. When my son was in high school, Mark, they provided these opportunities for him. And I really wanted him to do things that he loved. I don't want him, you know, folding towels if he doesn't love to fold towels. So he loves animals. So they provided him opportunities. He worked at an urban farm. They had goats, they had turkeys, they had chicken, they had fish. He loved going there. And it was so funny. One day I picked him up. He had a dental appointment. And he said, I just needed, I'm sorry, I'm a little late. I had to stop by and talk to my supervisor. I had to ask him if the chicken were supposed to be out and I'm like were they supposed to be out he's like no they're not supposed to be out you're that big another opportunity he had which I was thrilled about he worked at Discovery World a science museum and there they had an aquarium section and he got to go in and with clear expectations he was able to help people who wanted to pet some of the fish that were available for that and he would show them two fingers and he would show them how to pet and would have them wash their hand he was such a good role follower that he did great at that job and he loved it because he said the fish were so friendly. And I said, well, how do you know they're friendly fish? He said, well, they wag their tails. So he knew they were friendly. But I mean, those are the kind of opportunities we can provide to help them learn what do they love to do and what do they want to do? Because no one should work in jobs that they don't enjoy. Yeah. And that's true for all of us, I think. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let, let's go on to our next kind of aspect of this. And that is, you know, how can we improve the transition from school to work for these individuals. And so we've already kind of touched on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We can pay attention to the kind of courses we set them up with so that we're preparing them with the skills that will lead to the employment that they'd like to seek. So, and really uh, do some person-centered planning where we say, what are your life goals? What do you want to do? And making sure we're planning around that person-centered planning uh, and uh, helping them. And, you know, not to squash dreams, but to have like high expectations. So maybe they're only five foot tall and they never played high school basketball, but they love sports and they want to work in the field uh, with basketball. There's things that can be done in the basketball arena where they can live out that joy of being part of the sport that they love. So really thinking about building on strengths, taking that acid-based, strength-based approach is really important and not to focus on what individuals can't do. Yeah, that's right. And and, um, my my son, uh, who has autism, is he was fascinated uh, by Jurassic Park. 
<laughs> just, I mean, when he was young, you know, so it's been out, I mean, a long time. And of course, we have a sequel every 15 minutes, but, uh, but he's fascinated by that. And that actually starts generating into thinking what he wants to do. And so he's now in the middle of a, of a program on bioengineering. And so he's doing that. And I know, and he would, he would not say this, but I know a lot of that is that idea was planted in his head so long ago. And uh, so he's following his passion in a way. And you can tell the difference uh, between that and regular classes that he takes. And so and that's the lovely thing about individuals with autism is a lot of them have very specific interests and mm -hmm. ideas about, you know, things and to really figure out what those strengths are, what those interests are, really build on those. And that's what I did with with my son and his love of animals. And that's what your son is doing with his love of Jurassic Park. We actually went to Kauai and I think they filmed some of Jurassic Park there. We drove yes. by to take a look. So my son enjoys that as well. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, let, let's go to this part, which I just think is fascinating. And that's the idea is that, uh, you know, what can organizations do to ensure success of employees with autism? And so I'm saying on the other side, so as, you know, we talked a little bit, there's been stuff around for a long time trying to basically uh, prepare students that, that are on the spectrum to be normal, whatever that is, and fit in. And, uh, and then you and I recognize that maybe that's not so great because they bring things that are just extraordinary. But on the other side, as employers, how can we basically ensure that uh, these people that are on the spectrum who are our employees uh, can actually be more successful than if we didn't try to do some things? Well, I think it starts with a good job match. So finding out something that they're interested in doing and also thinking about a sensory friendly work environment. Uh, if we can uh, find a good match, that's great. But we really don't want to provide barriers that they can't work in certain sites because of the sensory environment. So just figuring out how can we make an environment more sensory friendly uh, so that individuals can excel in their employment. So looking at the noise, visual input, the odors, and there's things we can do. There's headsets, we can put cotton in our ears. You know, we can do simple things as far as accommodations and modifications. So the work environment, being clear in uh, describing required task and communication, really clear job descriptions, providing and teaching predictable schedules and routine. Some might need a job aid at the beginning, but once they have those predictable schedules and routines, they could be set. Like if as long as, you know, we're in case there's a surprise or disruption happening, that we give a little like preparation for that upcoming change. Or if there's new tasks involved that we think about, you know, making sure they have the skills and the preparation. If it's a big task, think about breaking it down into small chunks so that individuals can learn each step and scaffold over that. And then a lot of times socially where individuals have trouble with employment is that they don't, there's this hidden curriculum to expectations. And sometimes uh, we just learn those uh, from our observation of the social yeah. environment. But because individuals with autism miss some of the social nuances, they really need to be told this is the expectation. I'll give an example. If anybody uh, is watching today and you get to watch the documentary called Today's Man, it talks about an individual with autism in employment settings. And he just got a job he loved. He was at a 
theater production company and he was the receptionist. Well, no one told him that the expectation was that you should say that you like all of the things that we produce. And uh, someone came in and wanted their money back from a play that they saw because they thought it was really bad. And I think he agreed with them that it was a really bad production. So <laughs> that, that wasn't his fault. They should have said up front, like, don't talk about the quality of our productions. <laughs> if they had told him that in advance, he wouldn't have gotten trouble. So a See? mentor can help ongoing feedback. Yeah. See, now you and I can share a chuckle about that because it's obvious, isn't it? Right. <laughs> My son were there. He went excellent. Absolutely do that. And and so, uh, yeah, I just I just find that really fascinating. And, you know, and I've worked in the software engineer in uh, industry for a long time on big software projects. And people kind of run those kind of haphazardly. You know, we have a, a project and we'll just divide it in three. And then here we are in, in December and they'll go, well, we're going to roll this out in March. We'll have a, you know, we'll have weekly meetings, but we'll have a, you know, we'll have our version point one in January. Good luck with it. Right. And that's not going to work with, I know my son and the other people that I had, you know, I, I teach at a university as do you. And so I have some of these students and then I take a little care to work with them and saying, if this is the big project, how can we break these down into little steps? And then, oh, by the way, let's not talk about delivering this in March. Let's talk about what you're going to do next Thursday. Right. And I just realized you have way more, way more success for that. And I think that's what organizations can do, too. Once they realize that, uh, that you have to do a little more planning, you have to do a little more checking in. But guess what? They get it done. Right. right. And that's, you know, that's it's um, that's been my observation. Yeah. Well, it's taking those like static tasks, those evolving, those changing thinking about how you can make, uh, or those dynamic tasks, excuse me, and making it more static, making it more concrete, very, you know, and that's, that's something that can be done. And sometimes it cleans up our act. Like we become better because we're you know, providing accommodations and supports and we're, we're not flying by the seat of our pants. We're having to plan a little bit in advance and that can be helpful. Yeah. And um, being specific about what you want, right. And being very clear and detailed around, you know, what does success look, look like? How will we measure that? Right. And, and so you tell that, and I, I know my son glums onto that, like, you know, well, how would you measure this? You know? And, and so how would you know that you got this, got it done? All right. And I would say to future employers too, it, it, it cleans up your language too. You stop being so abstract and in your language. I, I was running late the other day and I had to pick up my daughter from school and I yelled at, out at my son. I'm like, could you buy me a pair of shoes? And he brought me a boot and a house slipper. It was a pair of shoes. <laughs> I didn't say it had to match. So he brought me what I asked for. So you get really, could you bring me a matched pair of shoes? I said, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it, it helps you clean up your language and you realize, you know, uh, that's what I said. That's what I got. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think I do think that there's a training component that goes for employers, you know, or better said than training is maybe a preparation phase so that you're ready to, um, you know, reap the benefits of having people who are neurodiverse and at the same time then be able to set the expectations so you can get those benefits. I think there's that that thing that goes with it. And if, if people are working, if individuals with uh, autism are working with vocational rehabilitation services, a lot of times they're be able to provide a job aid or job support yeah. at the beginning. And the goal is always to fade that for independence. And 
it could absolutely happen once the routines are predictable and the expectations are clear and everything's set out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, let, let's move to, to a little bit about what you're doing at the University of St. Thomas. And for people who have watched this show before, you know that this is the chance we give our guests uh, the chance to plug something that they're really interested in. And so I know that uh, University of St. Thomas does offer uh, a number of certificates and degrees around this. And maybe you can explain that to us. Absolutely. Currently at the University of St. Thomas in the School of Education, Department of Special Education, we do have autism specific programming. We offer an autism certificate, which I've had parents come to, I've had psychologists come to, I've had uh, people in human resources. So that certificate is not just around educators. You learn a lot more about autism. We also are fortunate in the state of Minnesota, we have an autism specific special education license and we prepare educators to work with individuals with autism across the range of that spectrum. We also have a master's degree in special education. And the program at the University of St. Thomas is highly flexible, meaning it's online, it's in person, or you can choose how you decide to uh, take a class. You can choose week to week. So it's a highly flexible format. So if you're interested in learning more about the program at the University of St. Thomas, please reach out to me. Okay, well, very good. And and I know a little bit, a little insight on, on, on your folks in it. So it isn't just your degrees, but it's actually your faculty and people. You have a lot of uh, uh, expertise in this area. And I would say talent as well, right, around your faculty. Absolutely. So uh, at our uh, Department of Special Education, we have six license areas. And even though some of the other uh, uh, instructors are like early childhood special education, they also have experience in autism spectrum disorder. So um, we are have been offering the certificate at the University of St. Thomas for 15 plus years. So uh, the lovely thing about our programming, too, is we pull in practitioners. So we have not only faculty research experience around evidence based practices, we have the implementation of those evidence based practices in the field. So our faculty is very is high quality. In fact, uh, the department, uh, the School of Education was ranked. Uh, in U.S. News and Reports this year as a quality program. So I'm proud to announce that. Oh, very good. And I'm not, not, not surprised at all. And so that takes us down towards the end of our time. Where did it go, right? And so let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, individuals with autism, you know, how they can become, uh, you know, really good employees. And one of the things I noticed is just our talking today, that you talk about people who are on the spectrum or have autism in a different way than we hear out in the world. Out in the world, we hear that it's a disability. It's a problem. You have to work around it. And so, uh, but I think the, your takeaway is you're saying we shouldn't think about it that way. No, neurodiversity is really all of us. Uh, all of us have different brains, all of us operate differently. And so to just look at it as another type of neurodiversity. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people do take a deficit-based approach, uh, autism spectrum disorder, like what's you know yeah. the disorder or a disability. And so what we need to think about is the ability part and really focus on, because a lot of the things that people might view as a disability or actually a strength, especially when it comes to employment. This, for example, people might say, oh, they perseverate on Jurassic Park. They perseverate on animals. Well, 
I have hobbies. And why do you not say that I perseverate on, you know, what I'm interested in? It's because they have autism that we tend to take this different look at it. And we really need to stop because each of us has the things that we do. Even some might involve uh, like uh, self-regulation. They might hand flap and people might view that like, and I'm like, well, you drink wine, you smoke (laughs) cigarettes, you like, you do your thing to regulate and he does his thing. And so, you're okay and he has a mannerism let's get over that we all have our different ways of being and so we just need to think of neurodiversity and those differences is something we should celebrate oh very good well said well thank you lynn for being on our show today i don't know about uh the rest of the viewers but i certainly feel smarter so i appreciate (laughs) you coming on and i want to remind our folks that we are now doing Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, and that will be our next episode. And so we'll see you then. Thanks again, Len. Thanks for being sure. on our show. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the part where I put the, the part where we, yeah, where we finish. <laughs>